It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 239 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, December 5th. Yesterday I said it was episode 240 because I'm an idiot. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode and to posts that go up at LockedOnRaptors.com. Uh, of course, the podcast is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, which hosts team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, as well as all 32 NFL teams. I don't mention that all the time, but I should, because the NFL season's heating up. Uh, you can listen to probably Locked On Steelers and Locked On Bengals today to hear about that just disgusting ba- uh, football game that happened last night that made me never want to watch football again. Uh, so tune into those if you want to get sad about the NFL. Uh, and all the other shows, if you want to be a little happier, like Locked On Saints, for example, I'm sure it's pretty happy this week. Uh, either way, you can check out all those shows. You can also check out Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd and Locked On NBA with David Locke. And those are all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Uh, please find Locked On Raptors on iTunes. It takes no time at all for you to leave a review or a rating, and it really helps. It makes us more popular. It moves us up into the rankings where people can see our wonderful logo and uh, click on it and subscribe very easily because it's just presented right in front of them. So please do that. It takes no time. And uh, to the 43 people who have left ratings and reviews on the iTunes page so far, you are wonderful human beings, and I love you all. Uh, on today's show, I'm joined by Joe Wolfond, uh, at Joey underscore W. He writes for The Score. He wrote a piece yesterday about the Raptors and their young guys and whether or not their potential, you know, has star future. What? Is that even a sentence? No. Uh, he wrote about the young guys and whether or not they have star potential uh, and went through each one of their cases for potentially growing into a star one day. Uh, so I had Joe on and we went through all six, all the main six young guys. We didn't include Bebe and Bruno. Uh, and we sort of went through like a projection for a floor, like a medium projection and an upside projection for all of them. Uh, I hate player comps, but this was an enjoyable way to do player comps uh, because it had to do with the Raptors and it was exciting. And just take it with a grain of salt. Player comps are flawed. Uh, we get into that with a couple of these guys and why it's really hard to draw some sort of comparisons between them. But uh, we did it anyway because you have to do it and that's what people do and people like player comps. So we did it. Um, so yeah, hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'll be back again on Wednesday with an episode about the Raptors against the Suns tonight. Uh, hopefully the Suns don't win. The Suns beat the Sixers last night. The Suns are just miserable. Um, and, you know, congrats on the win, I suppose, against Philly. But, man, they are just, their defense is awful. Jay Triano, not so good a coach. Uh, you can hear about that. We talked about that with Vivek Jacob yesterday on the podcast. So if you want to listen to that one, please do. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk to you again on Wednesday. Enjoy the conversation here with Joey W. Joe Wolf on Joey underscore W on Twitter. Uh, his last name is not W. Um, I'm an idiot. Uh, sorry, I'm hyped up on coffee and I'm rushing because I got to get to work. So thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And uh, have a great night, everybody. Enjoy the conversation with Joe Wolf on. Bye. All right, joining me now on Locked on Raptors to discuss his great piece for the score yesterday about the Raptors' young bench mob and whether or not a star might come from the bunch of them. It's uh, Joe Wolfon for his second appearance in not too long. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, your piece is very good, so thanks for writing it. Um, mm. And 
First of all, anytime you can mention the young guns, it makes me very happy. If no one's ready yet, uh, the preamble is about the, the young guns who, if you don't remember, were DeMar DeRozan, Amir Johnson, and Sonny Weems. Uh, the the gleaming lights of hope when <laughs> everything else was pretty dark with those Raptors teams after Chris Bosh. Uh, obviously, that didn't work out the way I think MLSC's marketing team hoped it would, but... Uh, it was a fun era of the Raptors, I suppose, in its own twisted, sad way. Um, but the Raptors' the young guys now are like, I mean, I don't know if any of them will be DeMar DeRozan, but we'll talk about that. Uh, you know, the, the Raptors' young guys now are exciting. There's some upside there. It's kind of, you know, it's a weird thing where some of them are older, so it's hard to really project much growth from them. But what they've done on the court kind of runs counter to what you would expect, you know, sort of the regular trajectory for some of these young guys would be. So what we're going to do with Joe is we're going to roll through each of the Raptors' uh, young guys that he pointed out in the piece. Apologies to Bebe Noguera and Bruno Caboclo. Um, we can save that for another day. Uh, so we're going to go through OG, Pirtle, Siakam, Norm, DeLon Wright, Fred Van Vliet. And we're going to sort of share what we think is like that player's floor in terms of like a worst-case scenario for their career, um, barring injuries and stuff like that, which I think is sort of the, the worst case for any career. Uh, we'll go with like a reasonable projection for what we think they'll be, and then we'll go with like an upside play uh, as to what they could potentially be if everything breaks perfectly for them. So, uh, Joe, you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool. Uh, let's start with OG, who you started your piece off with. He... Uh, I think most people would agree is the highest upside of anyone on the Raptors right now. He's only 20. Some of the other guys are a little older. Uh, and just, I think, considering that he wasn't even supposed to be playing yet, the fact that he's doing what he's done, you know, you mentioned the game where he shut down James Harden, and it was insane that he could do that uh, in, like, his first career start. And then, you know, his passing's really advanced. His shooting's even beyond where I think people would have expected it, even though I think it's probably going to come back down to earth at some point. Um... You know, OG's really nice, and he's already a lot nicer than I think most people would have expected. Um, in terms of, like, the floor for him, uh, it's hard to really say because he's so early, and it's hard to get a gauge on guys who've played 21 games, but, like, is there any way in which Ananobi completely flames out, and how would that look if he does? Um, yeah, I mean, there definitely is. Like, uh, if... I don't know. I, I look at him, and I don't really see a guy who's like like not going to be at least an above average defender for yeah. probably most of his career but um i think there's definitely a chance that his offensive game just like doesn't really develop and even then i think you're looking at just like probably a pretty solid three and d guy like the guy is shooting like i think 60 percent true shooting as a rookie um and uh like as long as his his athleticism just kind of like comes all the way back because um, I, I don't think he's quite there yet like he, he's going to be a really good finisher and uh, if if the three-point shooting sort of stabilizes maybe like around 34 35 percent as now like i think that's still a valuable player but um, that would probably be pretty disappointing still yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I struggle trying to, you know, if he only has defense, if that's like his only calling card and his offense stays the way it is right now, um, like it's still hard to really pencil him in to be like a, a wasted pick or anything like that or a complete bust because like defense like that has utility because there's so few guys who can do it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't I don't think that he'll ever, I don't think he'll ever be seen as like a wasted pick for yeah. sure. Like I, I think he'll most likely, you know, outperform his draft slot just by virtue of being, like, a high-end defender. Um, and, yeah, I think really all it comes down to at this point is is just, like, rounding out his offensive game and, and like, finding, like, that in-between game where he can handle the ball a little bit more. Um, 
and maybe even like, uh, you know, at a certain point down the line, like be able to get his own shot. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, for sure. There's a, you know, I guess the guy that you kind of throw out there if you were to pencil in no offensive growth from him is maybe Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. But even, like, I have a hard time saying that's, like, the floor of a guy because, like, MKG is... I mean, I don't think he's particularly good. I don't. I wouldn't really want him on my team because I think he creates a lot of problems offensively. But I mean, he's undoubtedly a really good defender, and he's shown some offensive flashes here and there throughout his career. Um, but I don't know. Is it fair to say that that's the floor for OG, like a former second overall pick? Like, it's hard to say. But like, I just I'm kind of very low on MKG, so maybe yeah. I, I'm like the, the wrong person to talk to about it. All right. Well, here's the thing. So OG already. Um, as a rookie, has hit 21 threes. Mm-hmm. Um, how many would you think that MKG has hit in his career? Oh, boy. Uh, 45. Seven. What? Seven threes. <laughs> no way. So, so look, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, even already he's, he's sort of um, just... I, I don't know if he... I'm not saying he's, like, surpassed MKG, but, like, the fact that he can already... Um, like he's already hit three times as many threes as MKG has hit in his career. I think bodes a little bit better for his projection as like a shooter who who's not going to totally cramp your spacing. That's one of the more mind blowing stats I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. <laughs> I think it's uh, yeah, that, that's nuts. That, that's up there with uh, I think I was doing a podcast where we discovered that Joel Anthony had more career turnovers than assists. Um, wow. And like as many blocks as assists or something. I don't know. It was pretty crazy. Anyway, uh, besides the or like twice as many blocks as assists. But other than Joel Anthony's uh, stats page, Michael Kidd Gilchrist only having seven threes in his career. I think he's he's zero percent this season. Yeah, I Let's... mean he just like I I know he like reworked his mechanics one summer and and I had like high hopes that he was going to be able to figure it out, but it just hasn't really happened. And I was really high on him like coming out of that draft too, yeah. and um, it's been. Uh, it's been pretty disappointing, to be honest. And, and I think the thing that you worry about for any defensive prospect, basically, is that like the offense stalls out to the extent that like they just can't even really be on the floor. And yeah. that generally just makes their defense less impactful because they can't be out there like in closing lineups a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah. I think- uh, Sorry, Ho- hopefully it doesn't end up there. Yeah. I think one of the things going to be tracking with OG a lot this season is where his three-point shot is at and whether or not teams actually – you know, it's one thing to have an accurate three-point shot. It's another thing to actually have teams defend you um, because I think that's going to be a thing for the Raptors come playoff time in that – like I feel like OG being on the floor is going to be very essential in a lot of situations, whether he's playing small ball four next to Ibaka or starting and playing a three and guarding uh, the best guy on the other team. Like he's going to have to play playoff minutes, I think – pretty obviously uh but i do worry that if it's not if he doesn't have enough of a reputation as a three-point shooter by the time the season the, the playoffs comes around that that maybe he could get tony allen a little bit which would be troublesome because obviously you have to adjust to that and sort of change things around and 
Um, we've seen in the past that can be sort of a death knell for teams when teams like the Warriors don't guard Tony Allen or uh, you know other guys out there. I can't even think of guys who don't get guarded at this point. But um, like Luka Sharbamute in the past with the Clippers or whatever, um, it's pretty easy to become that guy, and that can kind of throw a wrench into your playoff plan. So that's going to be something I'm monitoring with, with OG all season long. Um, in terms of like a reasonable prediction for what he could be, like what he's going to be like as a you know his fiftieth percentile sort of outcome, uh, what do you think is a fair projection for OG? Um, the guy that kind of came to mind was uh, Ron Artest for me. Okay. Um, uh, obviously not in terms of like uh, spirit or temperament, just like in terms of like his physical proportions and and. Um, the kind of like uh, janky but still sort of effective offensive game. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know if he'll ever be like as as like big and strong as our test was. Um. And uh, probably he's like a little bit more athletic as well. But um, I think a guy I like that who's just like really like has the potential to be like an A plus defender and uh, a guy who develops his offensive game enough for you know for it to be like legit two way stardom. Um. I don't know. Yeah, that was that was sort of. I don't know if that's fifty percent. Like that might be at the higher end of yeah. this projection, but yeah. um, but that was sort of where I landed. Yeah, I kind of look at Otto Porter and think I see a little bit of OG and Otto Porter. Um, obviously, a better defender than the Otto Porter who started in the league, where he was getting caught on gifts, not seeing back cuts for five seconds and things like that. But uh, I think he's come a long way. Porter has, and the fact that he has been so useful for that Washington team without really having to do much with the ball in his hands. They can just kind of hang there and just hit all the corner threes um, and then play sort of 3-4 and kind of flip-flop back and forth between those two positions. I think that's going to be OG's calling card too. Um, Maybe OG is a better defender than Porter will be, you know, long-term. But I I think that's kind of a, you know, if you have OG being like your third best player one day, I I could see him totally fitting into that role if if his offense comes along. Just even just a little bit more than what it's at now because the basics are there. I mean, the shot's not completely broken. It's not MKG. And I, I think the sort of the wits and intelligence are, are pretty obvious with him and just sort of the way he feels and sees the game that I think, you know, the offense to build around that, that's a pretty nice like foundation to build it around. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Otto Porter is like a, like a high 40% three-point shooter. So I, yeah. I'd be pretty thrilled um, if OG could get to that point. And, and I do think he will be a better defender when, when it comes down to it. But... Um, I think that's a good comp. I guess there's Al Farouk Aminu, too, who is sort of the 3-4 hybrid type, um, who's sort of, I think, transitioned mostly to just the four over the course of his career. Um, and that that's kind of what happens if OG's three-point shooting kind of you know plateaus and doesn't really get better. Uh, Aminu's had some nice seasons here and there, but he's mostly been pretty rough from three. Um, but, like, he's still, I mean, the Blazers are much worse when he's out of the lineup and when he's hurt than when he's in. Like, he's still kind of a guy who, uh, like, I think OG can be. He's just, like, a nice little glue guy who makes everything run just a little bit smoother. Yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of the highest upside for OG, what do you got for him? Uh, this, this is where we get to dream a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'll let you start on that one just because. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to say Kawhi Leonard because, uh, First of all, Kawhi Everyone Leonard's... Everyone wants to say Kawhi, right? Yeah, like he's that's... really good, but Kawhi Leonard's incredible. Um, maybe like Paul George? Like okay. one of the best defensive wings in the league, and you know maybe he's not the most aggressive taking guys off the dribble, but can still kind of do stuff with the ball in his hands from time to time, and he's smart enough to sort of get guys involved. I don't know, he might not have the 
just raw offensive talent that Paul George does. But I think kind of the the skeleton of the player is sort of there. Um, I don't know. Do you is that too dreaming too high? I mean, it's probably dreaming too high because Paul George is one of the rare anomalies who becomes a superstar after being drafted in the middle of the first round. But uh, this is we're talking about upside here. We're talking like ninetieth to hundredth percentile projections. So right. you know we can get a little insane, I guess. I mean, I think even then it's just like hard for me to. It's so early, like he's twenty. So yeah. Again, who knows? But like, it's hard for me to see him refining his offensive game to like that extent where he is. Like taking threes off the dribble and running pick and roll and like, um, you know, turning into basically like an offensive superstar. I, I just don't know if he gets to that point. Right. Um, but again, he's like so young. It's like it's really hard to say. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I uh, I think like I guess not even, <laughs> anything's possible. Um, I think Paul George might be a little pie in the sky. That's fair. What do you have then? <laughs> Um, honestly, like, I had, uh, like, I, I just think basically, like, a, a really, really poor man's Kawhi, which, which to me was, like, kind of like the Artest comp, just like a guy who, right. um, is, like, a really, really high-end defender, but, um, uh, like, a little bit awkward, I think, on the offensive end, and, like, still, like, can, like, basically be super effective, right. um, but it's not going to be like really refined um, to the point that he's like actually like orchestrating an offense or is like the centerpiece of an offense, which I think like guys like Kawhi and Paul George have been. Fair enough. What do you think about the Draymond thing? Because this was like a thing that was thrown around in the pre-draft stuff with him, in that like he's probably going to be able to play some center at some point in his career. Uh, considering his insane length and just the fact that everything's skewing smaller, um, and like I didn't expect him to pass like he does when he when he came in, and like he's already a much better passer than I would have anticipated, and um, like the intelligence is very, is very much there, and like again the, the comparisons to superstars like this, and Draymond Green is like a one in a million player, so it's hard to really draw that line, but in terms of being a guy who can kind of build the defense around and have him be sort of a, you know, a pseudo facilitator, he's obviously not the guy, you know, initiating the offense all the time, but like to have him as a guy who, you know, you can throw to in a short roll situation or even have him bring it up the floor sometimes and kind of run it out, like run a little mini pick and roll, things like that. I don't know. Is that something you can see in his future? I mean, Draymond, again, is such a unique player, but I don't know. I don't think it's out of the question that he could become sort of that perfect third best player to kind of revolve a team around without having him having to average, you know, 20 points a game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I like the defensive comp for sure, just cause he already looks like a guy who's going to be able to guard five position. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like the ability basically like, uh, like push guys out of the post, like corral ball handlers, like just do everything that you need for a guy who's going to be able to like switch one through five. Um, and and yeah, I, I definitely like see him in the future, just like being able to push the ball up the floor and like hopefully make plays on the move. Um, and like you said, like he's already shown, I think, pretty advanced passing vision and instincts. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, sure, let's dream. <laughs> That's what this is all about. I feel yeah. dirty doing it, but why the hell not? The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, 
Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to the next guy. Let's go a little quicker here. DeLon Wright. Um, he's a very hard player to compare to anything because he's kind of unique in today's NBA and um, that he doesn't shoot at all. But as you outlined in the piece, he's got a 67% true shooting percentage because he's amazing from two, uh, and he's like 93% from the line. You'd hope maybe one day the three comes around, but like he's already almost 26, so it's hard to really pencil in all that much more growth for him. But like as is, he's a pretty good player. Um, what's sort of the the low end for DeLon Wright? Is it just kind of, you know, just a decent backup point guard who can play defense and doesn't do much for you. You're not going to have him out there in you know meaningful moments. He's just a guy who can kind of steady the ship. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, uh, you definitely worry if that shot doesn't come around about him just um, hamstringing your offense a little bit. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, like, been able to avoid that, I think, to this point just because he really is so good at, like, breaking down a defense and he, he kind of cracks open space by getting defense to collapse. Like, he gets in the middle and, like, picks out shooters in the corner and like is just like really good at getting finishing at the rim so that's negated i think a lot of um the, the like kneecapping effect that his lack of shooting might otherwise have mm-hmm. um and i don't know i just think like the injury concerns are starting to maybe feel a little bit real especially because he's already 25 right and um so i think I don't know. I, I feel like I feel bad even saying this, but like you worry about like uh, something like you know like um, Michael Carter Williams, you know, like a yeah. guy who who just kind of like you stagnates can't even really a little bit play that often, just because um, just because the offense gets gummed up a little bit too much. His yeah, uh, his low side for me is uh, Lonzo Ball. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Like current Lonzo, current Lonzo Ball. Ball. Lonzo Ball, yeah, current Lonzo Ball. No, it's more tongue in cheek. No, the the MK the M, MKG the MCW thing. All the terrible acronym players who are on the Hornets. That's uh, <laughs> just what the Raptors are going to be. <laughs> right. They're just going to be the Hornets in the worst case scenario. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's a very fair and valid uh, thing. And like the upside thing for Delon is a tough thing for me. Like I don't even really want to throw it like an upside play because I just don't think there's that much without the shot and I'm not sure it's ever going to come because of the age um, and because of the injury concerns like he's had so much of a de- of his development just cut into by by injuries um, yeah. and you, know, you only get so much better after a certain age unless you're I don't know Kyle Lowry but uh, Kyle Lowry's a one in a million player as well <laughs> who becomes good at 27 or 28 um, so yeah, like the upside play for for Delon, I don't even think it really is even worth diving into. You know, I think con- kind of like Delon would have been a perfect point guard for like Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Like he like or just like one of those point guards who didn't have to do all that much. Like he's kind of the past era of point guard where you know usually it was just like a dude to bring the ball up the floor and then all the all the stars would just do everything um, and you just have your point guard play defense and not screw things up. Whereas like now, you need so much more from your point guard in terms of shooting and creation that, it, like, it's just he, he doesn't really seem like he's going to fit that mold for me. But like, he could have been Ron Harper. <laughs> like, he could have been. Like, he could have been. Yeah. And maybe I'm underselling Ron Harper, but like, he could have been just like a very good sidekick point guard. Like, he could have been the point guard on those Heat teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I feel like that's uh, the Raptors. Everyone says just like would have been better if they'd played in like the mid 90s right like that's what <laughs> but DeRozan like Valanciunas yeah um you know you built like a pretty solid 
uh, mid nineties team. Um, <laughs> but, but I do, I do have a name for you, uh, for DeLon as far as like a potential, like high end comp. Um, mm-hmm. what do you think about Devin Harris? That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, like he was a guy, he, he never really had like a lights out three point shot. It got better as his career went on, but like early in his career, he couldn't really shoot it at all. Um, mm-hmm. But he was like a good defender um, and just like a really soft, like solid ball handler and like a guy who finished well at the rim. And um, he was a starter like for a while, like had one all star season. Um, and I could see, I don't know, like, like a sort of similar arc where um, Alon does like kind of turn into a solid starter and, you know, is never like a star necessarily, but is um, a guy who can basically just like be really effective um, at both ends of the floor without necessarily, like, blowing you away. I wish you could see my face right now to learn that Devin Harris made an all-star team. <laughs> yeah, I what? mean, it was playing for, like, a really, really bad Nets team. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he did have one year where he just kind of, like, went off and averaged 22 points a game, so. That's bonkers. Was he traded yeah. for Richard Jefferson? Is that what happened there? Um, Was it Richard Jefferson or Jason Kidd? Oh, it maybe Kidd. it was Jason Kidd. Uh, let's look this up because this is good podcasting. Traded by the Mavericks with Maurice Ager, uh, Sajana Jopp, Trenton Hassel, Keith Van Horn. Good Lord. Uh, and a 2008 first rounder, which became Ryan Anderson for, uh, and a 2010 first rounder that became Jordan Crawford. This is an amazing trade. Wow. Uh, to the Nets for Malik Allen, Jason Kidd, and Antoine Wright. That is a trade and a half. <laughs> Shout out to Antoine Wright. Yeah, and uh, Trenton Hassel, one of my favorite <laughs> players from those uh, Wolves teams that I loved so much back in the day. That's, man, <laughs> that's, a, that's a beautiful trade. Anyway, yeah, I didn't know uh, Devin Harris made an all-star team. That's incredible. Um, so, yeah, well, I, 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 I like that comp, though. I think that's a, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, because uh, I, I, th- I think, like, Devin Harris, when he was on those, like, good Mavericks teams, was just, like, a really solid, like, backup or like occasional starting point guard who yeah. didn't try to do too much um just like played really solid defense and distributed effectively um yeah which i think is like yeah a pretty good comp fair enough uh, all right let's move on to Jakob pertle who uh again sort of a hard upside guy because he's literally never taken a shot outside of 11 feet in his career and right. big man upside is kind of dictated by shooting at this point um, he has everything else down. I mean, he's an incredible defender. He's probably the smartest defender on the team, maybe the best defender overall. Uh, definitely the best among the bigs, unless you want to count, you know, Ibaka when he's playing the five. But even then, I think Pirtle might still have him beat. And he's got really nice instincts. He kind of falls into those areas for dump-offs better than any big the Raptors have and better than most bigs that you see around the league, really. He's just so smart at finding those little pockets. Uh, the offensive rebounds just kind of happen for him, too. Uh, I like that you call him a sorcerer from which magic <laughs> offensive rebounds appear in the piece. That was a nice little uh, bit of prose. Um, yeah, what do you think is sort of the, the low end for Pearl? Because I do think his floor is probably a little bit higher than some of these other guys. Yeah, I think he's probably got the highest floor of any of these guys. And, like, Maybe you could argue also like the lowest ceiling, but yeah. um, like even if his floor is just like what he is now, I think he's a really good player. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like I don't know. I I don't know like where like it's just like hard to think of uh, like uh, another player like him who has like elevated himself that far above um, mm-hmm. what he is now. Uh, like 
I don't know. And, and it's just like I'm, I'm like looking up and down the league right now, and like the, the, there aren't many, if any, starting centers who kind of like bring his combination of skills and deficiencies. Is this floor like Bismack Biombo? I think that's like, oh man, I, I, that that feels like too low floor to me, just because <laughs> he, he's already like so much more refined offensively than Biombo. Yeah, that's fair. Will ever be yeah. like just like his ability to catch the ball like he's got really good hands and i know like he can't shoot like doesn't really have anything resembling a post game but um uh, he's still like i think fifth or sixth on the raptors in like per possession scoring average like he's averaging more points per 36 than ibaka than powell like yeah he still finds ways to score and like uh he, he doesn't like he doesn't slow down an offense at all just because i think like he gets you a lot of extra possessions. Like he keeps the ball moving. I think. I think. I don't know. I mean, Biombo's was like a great player in his own way. Who and I know we all loved having in Toronto, but uh, it, it was it was tough to run an offense when he was out there. Yeah, no kidding. Um, here's one for you. Twenty fourteen fifteen Milwaukee Bucks Zaza Pachulia. Wow. <laughs> Okay. Well, because like that was that year he was like oddly and that was the year they were good, right? Or was that the or 2013-14 they were good? I know they got worse when, yeah, it was fourteen fifteen they were pretty good, and then he left and they and they got much worse the season after for fifteen sixteen. Right. Um, but like Petrulia was like kind of an understated part of that team, and it's, they sort of built a really good defense around him, and you know he didn't do anything flashy by any means. He was eight point seven boards, two assists, like. Just kind of everything solid, you know, didn't shoot, I think, as well as Pirtle probably can at his best. But, um, you know, a very understated and sort of, you know, important piece that you don't really realize how important he is until he's gone. I feel like that's like a good floor for Yaka Pirtle, no? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I mean, I, it's, it's tough to remember now, I guess, just because I don't know that I ever like watched Prime and saw Sal Pachulia, but, <laughs> um, I, but, but I don't really remember him like ever being able to like move feet as well as yeah. Pirtle does. Yeah. Um, but again, like I, I, I'm used to watching him like at this latter stage of his career, so um, I think that's that's probably a good floor. Like, uh, yeah, like I say, I, I mean, I think Pirtle's floor is pretty high, yeah. and so- um, yeah. Zaza was good that year, man. Is, uh, I think that's good. I'm yeah, Zaza by like it. has has definitely been good at points in his career. Like I yeah. think um, he he's been you know a starter a lot of places. He had that really good season in Dallas a couple yeah. years back. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I have no problem with that. Okay. Uh, my uh, sort of middling, you know, fifty sixty percentile projection for Pirtle has kind of always been Tristan Thompson. Like just yeah, the offensive that was, rebounding. That was exactly the guy that. that okay. was Exactly the guy that I said as well. Okay, so what's your rationale behind it? Because we'll probably have the same thing. Um, I just think he's a guy who, like, you know, is never really going to have elite athleticism, but yeah. is still just like able to like make a difference defensively because he can switch. Um, and like I think the offensive rebounding um, for both of those guys like allows them to be more off, like effective offensive players than they might otherwise be. Mm-hmm. Um, but just sort of like a, a like a guy who you look at and is ground bound and is not necessarily going to be like um, an elite rim protector, um, but somebody who who's still just like going to do such a good job of like protecting like you know not just the rim but like the entire paint area by just like being able to move and like being in the right place. And um, 
and being able to switch. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at there. I mean, just the the things that he can do on defense and like without really being a good rim protector too. I think that you know he doesn't really rack up the block numbers, but just positionally he's really good. Um, I'm not sure he'll have the celebrity relations that that Tristan Thompson does, but. Uh, who knows what kind of Austrian supermodels might make their way through Toronto in time? Um, <laughs> yeah, it just it's kind of a perfect comp. The offensive rebounding is kind of the thing that stands out too. There are very few guys who rebound offensively the way those guys do, so um, I think it's a pretty easy one. What about his uh, his total upside? Uh, there, I have one guy in mind, I think, but uh, it's probably a very easy and very very stereotypical comp. But what do you have before I uh, tell on myself here? Um, I guess, like, maybe, like, again, this is a guy who's just, like, a little, like, a little bit more athletic, and, like, I don't know if Pirtle's ever going to get to that point, but, like, Tyson Chandler was a, was a guy who came to mind, it's just, okay. like, a guy who, um, can, like, really be, like, at, at, like, top, top level defensive center, um, and hopefully, like, a better defensive rebounder like Chandler I think you know like in his prime was like a really really good defensive rebounder which is something that I think Pirtle needs to work on mm-hmm. um, but again I just don't know if he's, he's ever going to be that kind of like a lob threat uh, the way that Tyson Chandler was at his peak so um, that might be a little dreamy but um, I think as far as like guys who find a way to be super impactful without the benefit of like a you know like a, a jump shot or uh, um, ball handling offensively, like that was a guy who came to mind. Yeah, for me, uh, maybe like Andrew Bogut when he was at his best, sort of you can kind of throw it to him. He's kind of you kind of run an offense through him at the elbows if you want. Um, like he's smart enough to to make the passes you want to see there. You can kind of hit guys cutting and uh, sort of run things from there. His defense, obviously, I don't think Bogut's ever really been that spry defensively, but he's always been had really good instincts around the rim um, and just been a really smart team defender and kind of was an anchor of some really good defenses uh, in his day. So I don't know. I think he'll be less problematic than Andrew Bogut is. So that's a, a positive for Jakob Pertl, I suppose. But I don't know. Do you think that comp holds any weight? Yeah, I do. I mean, that's I hadn't thought of that, but um, I think that's a good one. Like, I, I think it's easy to forget. Like Bogut before he suffered uh, that that elbow injury yeah. um, was like really really good. Yeah. Um, and um, I think like probably more athletic too than people remember. Like he, he was just like a really good mover, um, and a guy who like you said was just like always like in the right spot. Um, and just knew how to play. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, like, yeah, I, I think uh, that that'd be awesome. Like, <laughs> Pirtle could reach that level for sure. Um, Bogut's guy, who's like uh, an all defensive type player, so mm-hmm. um, you know, who also had some offensive chops and, and like an ability to pass. So, well, here's hoping. Um, okay, let's uh, go on. We got I gotta get it going kind of soon here, so we'll go through the last couple guys pretty quickly. Uh, Pascal Siakam. This guy is so hard to me to project because I don't know what the hell he's he did over the summer to like add all these skills, um, but I didn't see that coming. Uh, you mentioned Kenneth Fareed in your piece, and I thought that made sense. But now that he's got all these like non Kenneth Fareed skills, I don't know what to think anymore. Uh, so just let, let's quickly go through. Uh, floor, medium, and, and sort of peak potential for him because I, I I have no idea what to even start with. So I'll let you start. 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, Kenneth Freed was kind of the guy who I felt like was maybe, I don't know if, if floor, but, like, a, like a lower-end projection for him because that's a right. guy who has just, like, uh, came into the league basically, like, subsisting on energy and, like, had a lot of success early in his career by doing that. And now that, like, the book is out on him and, like, he's maybe slowing down a little bit, he just, like, doesn't have nearly as much utility. Mm-hmm. And so on the lower end, I think, you know, that that could be, like, a floor-like projection for Siakam, where he just, like, yeah, he's, like, developed a bit of a face-up game, but if it, if it doesn't, like, continue uh, sort of, like, on that similar ascent, like, if he just stalls out, um, you know, he becomes this guy who, once once he no longer has that, like, elite quickness, mm-hmm. um, or once teams just sort of, like, learn to, to scout, like, the things that he does to get him easy buckets, like, it just becomes a lot harder for him to actually you know, make an impact at both ends of the floor. Right. I think uh, a decent one, whether it's you know, maybe, like, maybe not the, maybe it's not the floor, but like maybe just like a medium projection for him and Raptors fans are going to hate this, but Patrick Patterson, Whoa. like <laughs> good multi-positional defender, maybe can shoot threes at some point, but probably a little bit better off the dribble than Patrick Patterson ever was or will be, but yeah. like serviceable, really nice role player to have. I don't know. Is that, too is that not generous enough to Pascal? Um, I, I don't know about like whether it's generous or not. I mean, Patterson was, uh, you know, like an impact role player for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I just see them as being like kind of different players. Like right. Patterson was was um, just like a little bit more methodical, and like you said, like he never really like did anything with the ball except shoot it or just like reverse it and like. Um, like get rid of it as soon as he caught it, which, which, which is like not necessarily a bad thing. But right. um, like Siakam already is like showing this, uh, like he's catching the ball and like sizing up the floor a little bit, yeah. um, and like uh, taking guys into the post, trying to take guys off the dribble. Um, I just think he's already like a little bit more multifaceted, and that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be better. Because um, again, like Patterson was a, a very very good role player who could defend multiple positions like and, and shoot threes really well which I don't know if Pascal will ever be able to do his shot looks real like really weird to me he shoots it with two hands yeah um so I don't know I don't know if he's gonna have to like change up his mechanics on his shot but uh I think if he wants to get to that level as like a three-point shooter then I don't know his shot just like looks a little bit too strange to me right now yeah, maybe that's not a very good comp. I think it's really hard to compare Siakam to anybody right now because, again, his yeah. skills are so fresh that it's hard to really know what they all mean just yet, I think. And then, like, his combination of being able to run faster than pretty much anybody in the league at his position or his size, uh, along with, like, the the weird three-point shooting that doesn't really exist, although he jacks him up pretty much whenever he wants to at this point. Um, and then the sort of weird ball skills and also the multi-positional defense. Like, it's a very hard set of skills to find in any player around the league. It's very unique, I think. Yeah, I, I had a really hard time with that, too. Just, like, there aren't that many players like him. Um, and uh, that makes it tough to project. I think um, one guy, uh, this was actually from, from our friend William Liu, who said, uh, like, Thaddeus Young is probably, like, a good... Um, more like higher end comparison for I was him. just gonna throw um, out Thad Young yeah, yeah. Um, he you know like a guy who's like really fast and can run the break energetic like a tweener who just like scavenges for buckets 
mm-hmm. um, and also like a guy who's like like made himself into a, a passable three point shooter. Um, that that's like one of the few guys who I look at and I see like okay like that that makes sense. <laughs> so the Raptors in Pascal Siakam have both Kenneth Kenneth Freed and Thad Young, so we'll never have to go. hear those trade conversations ever again. <laughs> thankfully. Um, yeah, I think that's a good one. It's really hard, though. I think it's uh, it's kind of unfair to even try to project an upside for him because we don't know how the skills all blend together just yet, and we don't know. I mean, he's probably the most, you know, outside of OG, maybe has the most growth to do, I think. He's only 23. Um, so and maybe it's Pirtle, but I, I think we kind of know what Pirtle's going to be at this point. So uh, I'm really interested in tracking Siakam's development. So uh, we'll just leave it there for now. Uh, next, we'll go Norm. I... I've thrown out Wes Matthews about, about him like a hundred times over the last couple seasons, and I don't know, his start to the season and how he just didn't fit with the starters has thrown me off of that a little bit, um, and maybe he's just like a bench dude now. I don't know. It's like, He's done really well in the bench role since he came back from injury, uh, and it's been promising, and he, he seems like a lot more comfortable. Is there, uh, let's just go quickly, low, medium, high projections for him from you. Um... Uh, um, low end, I think, uh, man, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't Tony know, Roten? I got Tony <laughs> Roten, wow. Um, a sure? Like, no, I don't, I don't know. I, I just throwing out names of yeah. combo guards. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, if you were to put Norm Powell know. on the tanking Sixers or, like, today's Kings, he would average, like, 22 a game, probably. It wouldn't be the most effective 22, but I think he'd probably do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think he could. Okay. Tony Rowan, um, baby. Like, he's definitely, yeah, I think he, he definitely has that capability. But I, I think the weird thing with Norm is coming into the season, I was, I was sort of, like, banging the drum for him to play with the starters because I thought, like, in the past he'd played a lot better with them, like, being a third guy who's, like, attacking off the catch as opposed to a guy who was being asked to create off the dribble. Like, he literally um, saved a playoff series being that cat, the, the, that third guy last season. Like, right. it, it worked so well. Yeah, and I thought, like, I, I really thought that, that was the role he was going to settle into. And um, so it's strange that he didn't mesh with those guys at all and has like actually been finding more success on the bench um I, I just still i still worry about his his lack of like off the dribble shooting and just like mm-hmm. he, like the, the fact that like he doesn't really uh, like his game doesn't translate that well to the half court yeah is what i'm finding more and more um so i don't know maybe like courtney lee like I, like i don't know if that's a low-end projection but i think that's maybe a reasonable one i was about to throw his name out too we're just in sync here there we go. Yeah, a, um, yeah. I think you know you, that's like a three and D guy who, um, it, you know, is it, never going to be a star, but is going to do like a lot of little things that help you win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a good one. Uh, well, I had one. Will Barton maybe like if he was never like be put on a team where he's like the like the go-to six-man, maybe he can get to Will Barton status. Although Will Barton's been awesome this year, so maybe that's an upside, that's like a higher upside projection. But, um, yeah, he's got a weird set of skills, a lot like most of these guys. <laughs> so it's hard to, yeah. like, the, I, I'm kind of coming down on my West West Matthews thing, even though I still think, you know, ideally, if he does fill that third starter, third wing kind of role, 
that is exactly what he can be. He hits threes. He can kind of create a little bit with his drives and things like that, and it's just like a perfect fifth starter. Um, but, it, you know, and maybe just like a little bit bouncier than Wes Matthews. But uh, that was always kind of the comp I threw out there. But maybe, yeah, maybe he is something more of like a bench gunner type um, and that you just kind of have to not maybe create your offense but to sort of supplement a little bit. So, um I, I, the Norm thing, I think I've come down on his... I mean, I was never as high on his upside as, as I think a lot of people were. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, he's, there was a second, he was a second-round pick for a reason. And, you know, everything he's already provided, is he's well... He's more than lived up to what you would hope a second-round pick would do. Uh, he's done more than most first-round picks since that draft. So I think it's totally fine if he kind of plateaus and is kind of this player. And I think it'd be worth the money that he's getting on his extension, probably, if he's, you know, just a good, you know, 12-point-a-game bench scorer who can kind of add a little bit of life into your game and, and sort of beef up your transition threat. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think Norm's going to be pretty good. I don't think he's going to be as good as some people would have expected. I'd probably rank him, like... Maybe fourth in terms of like total upside among all these guys behind OG Pascal and Pirtle, but I don't think that's a bad thing by any means. I just think that speaks to the Raptors having uh, a really good run of drafting here. So, uh, last guy, Fred Van Vliet. Um, is his upside Kyle Lowry, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's go for it, man. His upside is Kyle Lowry. Like, I, I don't. Okay, like obviously, like I wrote this in the piece too. Like, yeah. You don't really pro- like project anybody to turn into Kyle Lowry because nobody really does. Yeah. Um, you just like don't see anyone really with with those kind of like you know that physical profile just like turning into a superstar basically when they're twenty seven, twenty eight years old. Yeah. Um, but again, like I, Van Bleet, like already I feel like has established a pretty solid floor for himself it seems like he just is like really really solid um Mm -hmm. and i think from that baseline like he he will like have the opportunity to grow into something more um i don't know that i necessarily see him as like a starting point guard in the league uh but crazier things have happened so um i think as long as like he um, like continues to shoot the ball as well as he has been over the last couple of weeks. Um, he's going to be a really valuable player. Here's one for you, uh, Derek Fisher. Okay. Like Warriors, Derek Fisher. He didn't start. He came off the bench. He, you know, he's like what thirteen and four. Obviously, that's a little bit high. Maybe something more like nine. And I don't know. Like somewhere in Derek Fisher's basketball reference, there's a season that I think would very much resemble what I think Fred VanVleet can do. Uh, sort of undersized, but good shooter. Kind of uh, a good guy to have play next to other stars, I think, um, in an ideal world. That's why I think he's worked pretty well. Somehow, in these closing lineups that the Raptors have had with him in there, um, you know, he can create a little bit, but mostly he's just a guy. He's going to play rugged defense. He'll be a little overmatched physically, but uh, he won't be sort of exploited out there. I don't know. Is that a fair sort of upside comp for him? Yeah, I think that's, like, the other one I was thinking was like uh, like Blazers era Damon Stoudemire. Okay. Yeah. Um, just uh, you know, like super solid, like not trying to do too much, and again, like surrounded by like other really good players, and just like being like a strong facilitator who can hit threes, and like um, I think he's probably a better defender than Stoudemire ever was, but right. um, just a guy who who helps you out by like not really making mistakes and um, getting by on on like a lot of smarts and like using his body to to kind of like get in defenders when he's driving so he can finish over bigger guys yeah 
Um, but yeah, I like I like the Fisher comp as well. Um, and because because Fisher like in his heyday was like a really just like pesky defender despite his small stature. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, Van Vliet's floor is like very early Kyle Lowry, like Memphis Kyle Lowry. Right. <laughs> Except less of a malcontent, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, they've been spending a lot of time together, so who knows? Yeah, oh no, this is bad news. Uh, all right, man, well, we've, uh, I hate player comps so much, and we just spent 45 minutes doing player comps, but you made it enjoyable, so uh, thank you for, for indulging, you know, we've got to fill five days a week somehow, so... Uh, glad we could do it. Joe, in addition to your Raptors Young Guns piece on the score, what else can people check out from you and where? Um, you can check out all my NBA stuff uh, at the score. Um, uh, written, like, I wrote about the Celtics winning streak a couple weeks back. Uh, I wrote about, like, uh, the kind of, like, newest uh, super teams in the league uh, last week. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Joey underscore double Y-O-U. And, um, I'll like you know keep you updated on uh, on all my posts and um, you know when tennis season rolls around in January um, you can unfollow me again. No, you, your tennis <laughs> stuff is so good. I don't even like tennis, but I read your stuff and it's very very. Uh-huh. I appreciate uh, it, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. You can listen to Locked On Raptors on iTunes. Please find it, leave a rating, leave a review on the iTunes page. It takes no time at all. It really helps out the show makes us more popular and I uh, would really appreciate you taking the time uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Woodley Sean I'm doing the Raptors advent calendar all month long today I'm writing about uh, the Raptors drafting in the 20s very well because uh, it's 20 days before Christmas and the Raptors have had two number 20 overall picks I don't know the way I'm drawing lines between the days left before Christmas and uh, the topics I'm writing about are becoming increasingly bizarre and convoluted but uh, make sure you're checking it out it's uh, it's a fun thing I'm doing all all. Winter? All, all, all December. Not all winter. All December. Uh, the Raptors advent calendar at LockdownRaptors.com. Thanks so much. We'll be back again on Wednesday to recap the game against the Suns and uh, look ahead to a road trip. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you very soon on Lockdown Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Lockdown podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 